Well, hi, everybody. Welcome to the Impact Nations podcast. My name is Tim. I am your host. And today I am joined by my very good friend, Annabelle. Uh, and Annabelle is coming to us from Kampala, Uganda. Hi, Annabelle. Hi, Tim. Thank you for Welcome. having me. Yeah, thank, thank you, you for coming. I've been looking forward to this conversation <laughs> for a while. Um, for those who don't know, we are in the middle of, uh, we're really just at the beginning of our summer series on our podcast where we are learning about the people behind Impact Nations. And uh, so we are spending time getting to know uh, some of our partners and board members and uh, even some of the staff here in the office so that people can just hear some of the stories, uh, how people got to to be where they are in, in ministry and their walk with the Lord and, and just some of the stories that are going on in their world uh, and where they're going after that, you know, where we're leading into. Uh, so, uh, Annabelle, thanks again for coming. Uh, and uh, I am looking forward to, we'll, you know, we'll chat for 45 minutes or an hour or so. We'll just see, see where it goes. Um, but I wondered if you could maybe start by just telling us uh, really briefly, uh, because we'll get into much more detail later, but just in a couple of sentences, your uh, mm. your current ministry, what you do, and how you and I are working together. Thank you so much, Tim. Um, I work with the Remnant Generation, and the Remnant Generation is a ministry that is running in Uganda. We currently are operating in three districts, uh, but with our head office in Kampala, um, where we, we all we have all the operations centralized for now. And the Remnant Generation is a ministry that works to rescue and restore uh, lives of pregnant teenage girls and girls that have dropped out of school. And um, these are girls that have been exposed to sexual assault and they find themselves in situations where they're pregnant. And uh, because it is sexual abuse, most of the cases it's rape, it is, there is incest involved. Um, there is just, you know, um, choices that adolescents, you know, as adolescents, they have made that weren't so good. They find themselves, you know, dropping out of school and um, not, not having where to, you know, to go to further their studies, but also without family support during the time of pregnancy. And these are the girls that we, you know, we rescue and bring into our home and then help them to, to journey through that uh, until they are able to, um, to thrive, basically. Yeah. Awesome. So, I mean, for me, kind of the starting place, I guess, the starting question would be, why do you do this? What led you to this ministry? Um, but perhaps the best way to start there is for just to hear some of your story, some of your testimony, uh, and how you came to faith in safe faith. Let me try that again. Saving faith in Christ. <laughs> there we go. It's early in the morning here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> for the, I, yeah. I had to come in early in the morning to record this podcast because we needed some light in Uganda. So the sun is just coming up in Albuquerque, yeah. and just going down in Kampala. So this was, we had yes. like a one hour window where the sun is shining on both of us. So as <laughs> my coffee still kicks in. Um, but yeah, could you could you maybe just share a little bit with how you uh, came to live a life in Christ? Um, I come from a Muslim family. So basically my Muslim name was Aisha. And with my mom and dad, I was child number six, but really my father had, um, it was a polygamous family. So there are other siblings that are older and there are others that are younger. We are a family of about 23 children. And I say about because I still don't know some of my siblings because my dad has been faithful um, at, you know, um, uh, fulfilling the commission that God gave man in Genesis. 
<laughs> so basically, um, I, from that background of a Muslim family where girl-child education was never really valued. And uh, <clears throat> when, when, because of the polygamy, my family had uh, a lot of you know, domestic violence. There was a lot of domestic violence involved with their stepmoms and, and having so many children and not being able to meet all their needs. Um, my, at one point, my, my, my parents had to sleep and I ended up aiding the family of my set of siblings, which was five of us at the age of 12. And um, uh, when, when things, you know, really couldn't work out because I was washing people's clothes and working in people's gardens to feed my siblings. And when things couldn't work out, then we moved in with one of our stepmothers. And that is where I got sexually abused. So um, a survivor of sexual abuse. Um, that would have been, you know, um, recorded as incest because it was by my stepbrother. And um, I, you know, narrowly survived child marriage because I was being prepared to be married off to a man who was th 35 years old when I turned 13 and I had seen my first period. So I ran away from home and went on to work as a housemaid and, um, uh, you know, stayed on the street yeah, a few days and found myself in different people's homes from you know, one stranger hand to another. And um, through that journey, God led me to a couple that were willing to take us, uh, and my, me and my siblings back to school. So they, they, took, they gave me the opportunity to go back to school and I joined secondary school. And it is at, sec at school where I met this amazing lady who became like my mom. Uh, she was a teacher and she was a Christian. So she started the Scripture Union Fellowship at school. I'll never forget the day that um, I was going to commit suicide uh, because that's the day I, I met Christ. I, I was determined to take my life in, in the dormitory. I had got a, um, a calculator and the, I got the battery cells from the calculator, you know, because I was just, just so fed up. Uh, it, it kept on, you know, feeling like there was one problem after another that was happening in my life and I felt like I just needed to in life, I had been through so much and I felt like it was not fair and I felt like God was not um, pleased having me in this world. So I needed to go see him faster, sooner than he had planned for me to go maybe. So I really had determined to commit suicide that night. And uh, this lady comes asking for me and you know, we weren't really close friends for any reason, but she just came asking, where is Aisha? And um, that's the night that I had planned to swallow my, 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 my cells and, and die and cover up myself in bed and die. But then I went and um, you know, met her and then she told me, the Holy Spirit told her to call me. And, and she talked to me and said, no matter, I don't know what's happening with you. I don't know what, what your life is about, but I'm here to listen. And I want you to know that you are not alone and God loves you. So that night is when I started screaming, but why me? You know, like I held her so tight and started shouting, why me? Because when I got sexual abused and reported, no one believed me. When I was going through all these things of, you know, working as a child, taking care of my family, feeling the burden as a young girl, you know, to have responsibility that was bigger than my age, I kind of, you know, kept on asking that question to myself, why me when there are other kids that were of the same age with a completely different story, with completely different circumstances. So it is that night that I met Jesus. Uh, I was in my senior three. And, um, you know, after screaming, why me? And uh, she, she 
she just hugged me and started whispering things I don't think I understood. But I think mm. later, you know, you know, she was praying and uh, she just kept on blessing me and she asked me to repeat these words after me and said, Dear Lord, um, I want to thank you for my life. You know, I kind of repeated the salvation prayer, but in a different way. <laughs> mm. So that's my life to Jesus. Yes. And um, I think that's the best gift that has ever happened to me. And that lady gave me the name Annabelle, which means beautiful grace. Hmm. Yeah. And how many years ago was that? Uh, senior three. That is about, wow, that's about 17 years now. 17 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious. You said a couple things in there that, uh, I mean, mm-hmm. for us in North America, certainly are just a foreign concept. Uh, you say that when you were 13, you were about to be married off to a 35-year-old. Is that right? Yeah. That's a thing in Uganda? Like, how does... Tell me a little bit about that culturally. Because it's really hard for me to wrap my brain around something like that. Why do you think that happens? Yes, yeah, so child common. Yeah, it's child marriage is common in many places around the world, and it is really from a place of you know where societies and families looked at the girl child as a source of wealth in terms of bright price. So in in many places, not just in Uganda. Um, uh, Families were, you know, looking at the boy child as the most important child in the family. So who got the opportunity to go to school? The boy child had the right to inheritance. Uh, the, the boy child had, you know, was seen as the person that would father the blood of the family. But then the girl was only good for marriage because that is the, through that, that then she would bring bright price, uh, which would then add value to the family. So until now, when we have all this development happening around the world with all the education and all the, you know, technology and, and all that, we still have very many cases of child marriage. Um, and, and for the girls that we work with at the remnant generation, many uh, <clears throat> of them have, you know, be, been victim of child marriage. Uh, just recently, we have a girl that was sharing a story at the beginning of this year's School of Purpose program and she was being prepared uh, by her family to be married off, and she's only 15, you know, and it is because the family didn't have school fees, they didn't have, um, they thought they were in a smaller room, and of course in this, her family, she had male siblings, but to free up space, you know, to get rid of one extra mouth to feed, they have to get the girl out, so that uh, the girl can go and, and, and have this man then who is able to provide support to the family so that they can have food and have all those different things. So um, it is, I know it's not very common in, in the USA and other places, but it is very common in different parts of the world, sadly, yes. Has that attitude shifted in terms of child marriage? Yeah. Like is, is culture changing in that regard? Yeah, there is. Yeah, there is shift. There is change in culture. Um, recently, at least, we have seen more um, families that are embracing our child education and the value uh, that is being given to our child. We are seeing 
cultural leaders coming out and you know promoting and emphasizing um, girl child education and support and re- recognizing that child marriage is actually child abuse. <laughs> so when you were sharing your story about feeling suicidal and, and then uh, two things that I heard you say, um, one was you found yourself crying out, why me? Um, because you'd face such difficult circumstances. What would you say to those who find themselves today in circumstances where they are, are turning to the heavens and saying, why me? Um, what I would say to people that um, finding themselves in a situation where they're asking the Lord, why me? And they're feeling that they're being pressed to the wall. I know that in the Bible, there are many times, even with Jesus, you know, when he was ready to face the cross, um, he got to a point where he was calling out to Abba Father and saying, if it were possible, may this cup be taken off me. Because there are those moments in life where we feel like we want to just give up, you know, give in and just break down and we are at our lowest and we don't feel like we have the slightest bit of strength to go to the next. I can draw from my personal life experience and my pain to be an encouragement to others. So when God says that all things work together for the good, it is easy when you're telling it to somebody else and it's not you in the moment. But they actually do work together for the good. They actually do work together for the good. So I just want to encourage somebody out there that is perhaps going through pain and um, you know moments of shit, asking why me that you know it's not because you have done something wrong. It is not because you're the worst sinner. It is not because that God doesn't really care, care, but that he may be glorified. I, you know, take courage that God will be glorified through your story. God will be glorified uh, through that circumstance, through that, that terminal illness, that God will be glorified at the end of that day because that testimony will birth a huge ministry. So I love to use the phrase, there is always purpose in the pain. Hmm. So how, for those of us who are, find ourselves in the position of holding the, the crying and the broken who are shouting out why me, how can we communicate what you just said in terms of there's purpose in the pain without being glib? Because uh, it would be easy to just say, oh, hey, if it all works out for the good. Just, you know, everything's going to be okay. Um, mm. it's interesting because we were talking last week in the podcast about, uh, how Jesus took the time to grieve and grieving is important. Mm-hmm. So how do we help people grieve, but still point them towards the purpose and the pain? Is there a mm. good way of doing that? I think there is, uh, anyone that is going through a, play, a, a, a time of grief and a moment of despair, what they need to know is that they are not alone. So if, if, even if you don't have something to say. You don't necessarily have to use your words, you know, but just be present and be a shoulder that they can cry on and give them a space that they feel is safe for them to, you know, be a safe space, be a person that they can come to, even if they won't have a discussion, but they can just sit and cry and talk like for five hours and be willing to listen. That in itself is very, uh, is, is therapy. It is healing. Uh, when somebody knows that I am not alone. The, the, the times that, um, you know, we've had, we had a girl in, in the shelter, um, 
she, she's now grown into an amazing young woman who is, you know, a leader and example to others. But by the time we rescued her, she was going to commit suicide in, in a, in a man-made lake, in one of the man-made lakes that we have. And she was going to jump off a cliff and fall right into that water because everyone else had cut her off. And she had gone to this church and stayed at the church for nearly a month and no one had noticed her. You know, she went to church hoping that people would see her around and maybe have pity or ask some questions, but no one had actually taken interest. So this lady that was driving by is the one that recognized that something is wrong and this girl looks like she's going to commit suicide. And she's the one that reached out. And when that lady reached out and, and held her hand, she says that, you know, at that moment, I thought somebody cared and I was not alone. So we, we get to the place where, you know, we can be a safe space. We can just give a hand, even if we don't know what to say. This lady that rescued this girl didn't know what to say, but she, she knew remnant generation, and she knew that we had the right words to say and the right help to offer this young lady. So she, she brought her to our, to our place, you know. So we, we can just point people that are in pain to places where they can get help instead of having to go around talking and, and just saying, you know, all things are working together for the good and, you know, getting things out of context. But sometimes you're not well positioned to be the person that will encourage. And other times the Holy Spirit will really minister through you and to minister hope and healing to this other person. So if you're a person who is sensitive to the Holy Spirit, you also hear the voice and you know what to say. I have learned um, through the, the working with the remnant generation in my counseling experience that in every counseling session, I don't need to open my mouth. Um, sometimes I have to keep quiet and I let the girls just break down, cry, do everything, go through all the emotions and just give them a hug and tell them we shall continue from there tomorrow. You know, and then the other days where I have to raise my voice and speak when, when, when you know, and, and I have to trust the Holy Spirit um, for the words, for the right words, in especially the moments of breakdown. So that's, I think, what we can do. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So you've you've actually talked quite a bit about the Holy Spirit in in the last few minutes here because you when you're telling your story you said a, a woman was prompted by the Holy Spirit to call you uh, mm -hmm. and that led to transformation. You told a story about a girl who had been unnoticed for a month and was suicidal, and then a, a woman was prompted suddenly noticed her and intervened. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't have a question, I guess only to say how important it is for us to be attuned to the Holy Spirit and yeah. to be obedient to those simple promptings. Um, mm -hmm. And sometimes something as simple as a phone call, when, mm -hmm. when, when suddenly somebody is on your mind, a simple phone call uh, to say, hey, I've been thinking of you and I'm praying mm -hmm. for you. Is there anything that I can be praying specifically for? Or how, you know, how are you? Mm -hmm. um, when that's prompted by the Holy Spirit, it can lead to some pretty incredible transformation. Exactly. Exactly. So you're, I, we finished your story or, or interrupted your story when you were in S3. What's happened yeah. since then in the last you know, 15 years or so? So what's, what has happened is that I actually went ahead and graduated from university, finished school and graduated from university and became the first girl in my family to actually graduate. 
uh, from university and um, I started working straight out when I finished my senior six. I don't know what that equivalent is in the USA academic curriculum, uh, but <clears throat> I, I, after my senior six, I got a job as a choir trainer uh, with an NGO that was working with street children. And I started with that salary that I used to earn, which was only 50,000 per month, by the way. <laughs> I started um, um, helping out my siblings' education um, in universal primary education. So I, I had to pay for their porridge and books and all that. So as a result of that, I finished university, you know, worked to finish university. All my siblings have finished university and family history has turned upside down, it's, it's changed. And then um, a few months after my graduation, I got married to the, a man that I chose, that I love <laughs> yeah. when I was age. And my dad walked me down the aisle, which was an amazing thing, um, in a church <laughs> mm-hmm. with his Muslim hat on. And, uh, and um, you know, <laughs> you know um, our functions were such, a, huge turnaround um, in a moment of, you know, turning point. It was a, t- a huge turning point in our entire family. And just on Saturday, um, my younger sister is, is, is getting, you know, is, is having her traditional wedding. So all of us have finished school, grown, and started families and gotten married, and we are all in church. So I was the first person to give my life to Christ, and then my siblings, followed and then my mom <laughs> and followed wow. and then yeah we are all ministers in church involved in the church choir my mom is an usher you know she all she knew how to do was to dig people's gardens and that's what we used to do for a living when she joined church um she started digging around you know the church compound and keeping it clean so her ministry was ushering and and um maintenance basically and she does it with a lot of love and um, a lot of perfection. You know, she even complains when somebody doesn't know how to cut the flowers properly or how to <laughs> cut that, the grass a certain way. Uh, but that has happened and we really bless the Lord for that. And that transformation and that story and that turnaround really is evidence, is testimony enough that when God touches, when, 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 when there is one life transformed when when healing comes in for one person it can, then it it is able to flow to in the entire family you know it is the influence of god is just so huge that when you touch one one life like this it has the potential to turn around lives of others so when god held my hand and gave me a second chance to life he did the same through me for my entire family. And he's doing that now for many more families through the remnant generation. And I don't know any other, that is why our motto at the remnant generation is rescued, restored, and thriving. And, and it is because that is what I have been through. <laughs> and I know it works, you know, when you rescue one and help them find restoration first, you know, to God and themselves and then as a family and then give them the opportunity to thrive it, it has power to just go to re, you know how do i call that um ripple effect you know it, it has that the ripple effect of that 
goes on to for generations, you know. And 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 it's amazing how it all works out powerfully. Yes. Today's episode is brought to you by Steve Stewart's brand new book, The First Church Restored. This book examines how Jesus and the early church made disciples, how the first church model is leading to transformation around the world right now, and then asks the important questions of how we can apply these ancient principles to our Christian walk. Each chapter ends with helpful and simple steps that you can take towards joyful disciple-making today. You'll be encouraged, challenged, and equipped. To purchase this and other titles, visit impactnations.com shop. And now, back to the podcast. So how long have you been, how did you establish the Remnant Generation? How long ago was that? How did that happen? Ah, so the Remnant Generation is a ministry that really was um, in my heart since high school. I had no name for it, though. <laughs> mm. I just finding myself um, talking to young girls and being an encouragement, just using my personal uh, experiences and, you know, um, talking to other girls that were in school and boys that were going through similar situations. So we had this group of young people in school that we used to call Chienje in Uganda. And a Chienje is a cockroach. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have cockroaches. In- <laughs> we, have, we have some cockroaches here in <laughs> Albuquerque. I don't know that there's many north of here. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so and, and you know, the cockroaches that we have in Africa are always, you know, they have that golden brown color and they look so nice on, you know, and kind of oily on the top and all that. And they look smart and neat all the time, but they come from the most filthy places and they stay in the most filthy places. And, you know, you, you look at it walking around and it's so healthy and nice looking and glossy. And you look at where it's coming from and you're like, ew. So, but... It's funny how we chose the name <laughs> Chienge. You're talking about cockroaches? Like, yes. <laughs> I, I, I just want to say, I have never heard anybody describe cockroaches so favorably. <laughs> they are disgusting. <laughs> and I, that's, they're gross just to look at. I, wow. <laughs> well, that was our description. That is how we identified ourselves because were children that were on the outside very talented and smart in class. Um, you know, we, we used to be funny and sometimes stubborn, you know, just kind of getting on the nerves of the teachers. But we were coming, we all had a history that was terrible. We were coming from places that were filthy, you know, we're coming from places that were not really recognized as good. So we identified ourselves as that, and we, that kind of kept us together as a family unit. So we went through with, with, with that group of friends of mine until we finished senior six, and some of, the, some of our, uh, my friends never made it to university because it, you know, they didn't have money to go through uni- to university. Others died. Uh, we, we lost a few of our colleagues, you know, they, they died. But the few of us that, that made it through, have, you know, turned out to be what, like kind of what just started opening different doors of opportunity for us. And so every holiday, every school, uh, school holiday would just team up and go to communities and just look for those children in the community that would fall in our category of the change group, the cockroach group, and just to speak hope and love and minister uh, to them. And so we, we started having 
invitations coming in from Catholic youth groups, from Anglican youth groups, from just you know youth groups in the communities that knew about our passion. And as we did all those outreaches in the schools, in the communities, I started hearing you know, so many stories and encountering different girls, especially, that had, you know, were young mothers and their life had completely shut down. You know, opportunity lost, dreams lost, hope, all hope gone, and the only thing they would see is, you know, living for today, and they have no idea what is going to happen tomorrow. So it is from that, that those experiences and, and meeting girls that were being sexually abused and they had nowhere to go. I ended up having nine girls under my single room. <laughs> I had one bed and one mattress and I had nine girls and at night would just put up the bed, you know, and, and have one, our one mattress down on the floor and um, each one of them would find, you know, as long as the head had a place to sleep on, that feet were happy mm. anywhere. So um, we, we, then that started, you know, God just kept on leading to me different people, you know, young people and that were discouraged, empty, to just, you know, I even didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what I was saying. I had no form, curriculum. I had no what, but all I knew was I, was I was able to use my story to just encourage them. And just, I'm a woman of faith, so much faith. So I, I, would, I would just speak big words <laughs> and show them the possibilities that are out there. But I was struggling myself, but faith kept us going. I was like, yes, you have to believe that we are all going to go through school. We have to believe that life is going to be different. And, and um, it is from that place then that the ministry of the Remnant Generation was birthed. And um, in 2011, we really um, registered it as a, a community-based organization so that we, we had permission now to work in the communities uh, we registered it in Leantonde, which is a district that has one of the highest rates of child marriages and sexual abuse in Uganda. And so we're doing a lot of outreaches every holiday. I would mobilize clothes, mobilize friends, we just go. You know, we met this young mother who was married at 15 and had a child with hydrocephalus and other many young kids. She was, you know, living in a house that was just going to bury her. You know, like it was just waiting to fall, you know, and, and they will be dead in the house. And, you know, mobilized friends and built two rooms, you know, for her and uh, shifted the entire family and then helped her baby get treatment. So it is from those activities that um, um, we birthed the remnant generation and, re and, and registered it then as an NGO in 2015. So I, I resigned my job. By then I was a deputy director in, in an NGO. Um, and I was, you know, one of the most paid staff, <laughs> highly paid staff in that organization, but I felt that um, I needed, it was time for, for us to do more than going out and giving handouts. It was time for us to do more. So we, we moved out and had our registration for the Remnant Generation in 2015 as an NGO, which gave us then the mandate to work across the country. And then we had our first office in the in the slums of Kosovo, <laughs> in a in a in a, a, a single room that was really a security guard's corner at a school, Word of Life Community Church, and uh, <laughs> and I know you know Impact Nations has been there, so that's where we had our first office. And in in three months, basically, our petty cash was used to be three thousand shillings a week. You know, like 
3,000 shillings. I don't know. That's like one dollar. <laughs> yeah, less than a dollar. I think it's about 75 cents or so, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that used to be our petty cash. And um, uh, then our accountant now, her name is Eva Nambiru. Um, she came in. She was, a, she was a lady that I went to school with because I'm an accountant by profession, by the way. That's what I studied. So we used to attend the same university with Eva. So she had just fallen out of her job. Like there was a huge close down of companies that were dealing in tobacco. And she was working with one of those companies because the, the company had shut down. And she came telling me, Annabelle, you know what? I'm available if you need any help. I was like, yes, I do. And she came in and all she was managing was 3,000 shillings <laughs> of petty cash. And that was money that I would get from my husband. Because in Africa, I don't know how you guys do it in the USA. But here in Uganda, when your husband is going to work in the morning and you're a stay-at-home wife, he, he needs to, to leave money, a bit of money for you to buy food and groceries and stuff like that. So he would leave me 10,000 shillings. And from that, I would pick money that would run the office. So, <laughs> and we didn't have furniture. We didn't have anything. We just used to sit on the floor. And um, it is from there that God has you know, taken us to steps of faith. Like I said, it's faith. All the furniture we got later was really donated from a furniture house in Uganda. We never paid for anything at all. It was just by faith walking into this place that I had never been to before and telling them about this amazing vision that I have and the huge dream and how we need office furniture. And they gave it. And um, we got our first beds for the girls um, through our Facebook fundraiser. I just posted a story and, and asked people, you know, we need, we need beds. And in three days, God gave us beds, you know. And um, from, it is from that place of faith and complete trust and dependency that God has taken us to now meeting people like Impact Nations and having support um, for, for the shelter and now having um, uh, the School of Purpose and establishing a clinic. And he's taking us further. One of the things that strikes me from that story is that you started by just recognizing a need and inviting people into your into your space, which was a single bedroom. And you said there were nine of you sleeping on the floor. I, yeah. I think sometimes we fall into the trap of thinking we have to, um, we have to have a grand plan or, you know, it has to be big and sophisticated and all those things. And you started with just simple, obedience and you probably didn't even see it as obedience at the time i don't know i mean you just you just saw a need and said well come and it started with mm -hmm. hospitality more than anything didn't it yeah that's what it did and i think tim one of the other things that we learned that i have learned also over the years is that god honors steps of faith hmm. he does honor steps of faith i have been humbled i continue to be humbled by how god honors of faith. So, you know, perhaps if anyone that is listening out there that have, that have wanted to do something, that God has been speaking to their hearts about doing something, you don't have to have it all planned out or figured out all in place. You just one step of faith, you know, and the other things will fall in place. And um, just complete trust, because it is not trust. I think that's why he asks us to trust in the Lord with all your understanding and, and, and trusting in the Lord with all your heart and not lean on your own understanding and in all your ways acknowledge him 
and he will direct your path. I have held on to that scripture. I literally, I think, took it out of the Bible and personalized it <laughs> and made it my own. And um, I am so intentional at doing that with the staff team that we serve with at the Remnant Generation. Uh, because we have been through moments where there has not been salary. We have been through moments where we have no money to pay for hospital bills for the girls. We have been through moments where we didn't have food for the girls to eat. We have been through moments where I have been at war, you know, with, 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 with families that um, are wanting, you know, their daughter's dead. Uh, they want to, this girl to die because she's the only um, uh, um, person that is going to stand you know, against the father or the uncle in the courts of law because of an incest case. And every day, I, you know, every time I, I keep echoing that and just telling that team, we just need to keep trusting. He who called us is faithful. Just keep trusting and not lean on our own understanding. When we feel our plans are not working, when we feel like um, we are being discouraged, when we feel like we don't see how it's going to end, it's, it is easier to trust than to worry. <laughs> hmm. I love that. It is easier to trust <laughs> than to worry. Yes. No. Yeah. So you rescue these girls from horrific situations. And how many girls do you have in, in your shelter right now? Well, right now, the ones that are resident in the shelter are 15. And then those that uh, we were working with on a the entire program are 46. 46. And, and 12 babies, yes. And 12 babies. Yeah. Oh my goodness, you guys have your hands full. It must be very noisy there. You're recording yeah. from home right now, probably <laughs> mostly because I couldn't hear you if you were at the shelter. You couldn't. You couldn't, yeah. Because when, 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 when you come into my our office, or even the compound, not even the compound, you're welcomed with, with shouts of praise and worship from the babies and and in different, you know, some are singing in alto and tenor, and the song may sound like, it's, you know, it's the same because it's just, ah, and then, you know. <laughs> so we, we, just, we just make fun of it, and we're like, wow, the worship team is busy right there. <laughs> That's wonderful. So I have a question about what happens next. You rescue these, these mm -hmm. girls from terrible situations, and you you know we've talked about how you just hold them and counsel them through the pain of, of that the the life they've mm -hmm. come from but and you help them get through the birthing process they're pregnant and you help them give birth to a healthy baby but then what happens mm -hmm. i mean you can't you can't just keep them forever so what's the next step for them so the next step that happens is that while they are with us uh, and we have brought them into the remnant generation, um, first of all, I should mention that not all the girls end up in the shelter. Uh, some of them stay in the communities, uh, especially those that have you know, a, an auntie to stay with, uh, a relative that is friendly and, and able to provide support. So we just work with them from home, you know, they come and during the day and go back home in the evening. So we started um, a project in 2017 um, that is called the School of Purpose, thanks to Impact Nation. And the School of Purpose is mainly um, a skills training program, tailor-made skills training program that is providing business skills and vocational skills to these girls to prepare them for the life after a generation to thrive. 
uh, because most of these girls, because they're young mothers, and uh, because they come from families that are, um, you know, some of them have come from really, really poor families. And other girls have com been completely rejected. They have no opportunity to even re be reintegrated with their family. Um, going back to school is not a viable option for all of them. So we, we, we provide this, um, this training in the school of purpose so that they're able to start small businesses and run them. So uh, we, we, we go through a nine-month tailor-made program with them. We have we partner with, uh, with different um, vocational schools, training institutions in Uganda that send us trainers. And, um, and uh, they do hairdressing, they do tailoring, they're doing amazing crafts. Um, they're doing soap, they're baking, they're cooking. And, and this is all to give them an alternative to life. And we believe that this, this, this killing and business empowerment is a tool that these girls can use to find their purpose, to find their lost dreams, to find their potential that God has given them and the giftings that God has given them. So that is why we call it a school of purpose. It's not that, you know, that, that the schools we train, that that is their purpose, but we know that this, this is a tool that they can use. If somebody is able to earn a living decently, if they're not going to, to have to beg, you know, because that has been the story for many girls. Once they have gotten pregnant, if they're not forced into abortion and some of them are dying, you know, they are left to wallow in poverty and desperation. So we want to turn around that whole scenario and show these girls you can dream again and you can work hard and you can thrive. So, and when that is done at that nine months, we'd have a, a, a huge graduation day, which is usually my favorite day because, um, you know, of course we have cake and party and all those different things. But it's also that some of these girls have had, had lost all hope that they can even attain one simple academic you know, level of education achievement. So having a graduation is so significant that they get to wear the hat and have the gown and have somebody hand them over a certificate. It's just usually an emotional day, but also uh, you know, we, we get to thank God for that journey um, that we, we work with them. And um, our social workers, we have an amazing team of social workers that are moved to communities right now as we speak. There is a, a group of three that are in a place called Kamuli. It is four hours drive away from Kampala. And they have to take a ferry at a certain point. And ferries in Uganda are not in any way, <laughs> you know, ferries in, in the USA. So when you get onto a ferry, like you're calling on the blood of Jesus to make sure that, you know, to help you get to the other end of the, of the lake. But um, um, we, we do family tracing and identify if there is any existing relative that are willing to take this girl back. And when that is successful, then we, we, we resettle the girl and the baby into a safe family. So the core word is, there has to be, it has to be safe. It has to be a safe environment where they're not going to be exposed again to abuse. So for instance, if a girl was abused in a, you know, by a grandfather or by an uncle, we don't take that girl back in that family. You know, we identify another alternative placement. And if uh, the, the, the placement has not worked, because sometimes it doesn't work. There are girls where we have, uh, it's, it's been completely impossible for us to reunite them with their families. And 
sometimes mainly because of safety issues, but also other times it's just been complete rejection. So for some of those girls, we, we have actually stayed with them longer in the shelter. A few of them we have managed place in foster families, Christian foster families that have accepted to have the baby and the, and the mother. Uh, but others, we are now working out a plan because we have six girls now in the shelter that cannot go home. You know, they have no family at all. Uh, one of the girls that, um, you know, uh, just for you know purposes of child protection, I won't mention her name, but um, she got pregnant by her, her grandfather when she was 12 years old. Mm-hmm. And she had been abused by the, you know, by the, the father from when she was four years old, the father died to HIV, and then she was put in the hands and care of, of the grandfather who, you know, sadly continued abusing her sexually. And she got pregnant. And um, when the case got to police, the, father, the grandfather was imprisoned and he committed suicide while in prison. So the entire family then blamed it on this young girl for, you know, reporting, for causing the death of the grandfather. She's never met her mom, you know. She, she, she's a total orphan. And, and then they started saying, you know, she's not their family. They doubt if she even belongs there. They refused to do the DNA testing. And then when we went into courts of law, it was like, you know, because now all the perpetrators were dead, there's no one that you could hold accountable. You know, in courts of law, there is, you can't blame the family for not taking her in. So she's been with us, and, and her son is, is going to make three years now. And, uh, and, and we, we, you know, we've taken this girl back to school, and we just couldn't find a family, even a foster family for her, because people think she's cursed uh, when, when there is that repeated sexual abuse and there is that, you know, uh, magnitude of incest. There, there is that cultural belief that 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 baby is cast, that baby, you know, and that and the mother have a problem. And this girl had, uh, because of the abuse, had developed, um, you know, trauma. The, the trauma was too much that she, she had mental retardation. So we had to take her through special needs school for some time. And after that, we, we took her back to formal school, you know, because she was a, a 13-year-old acting like a five-year-old. Mm. And teaching her... She, 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 she got to learn how to knit and that was her passion, but she really loved to learn how to read and write. And she wanted to have the opportunity to be able to be in class and wear a school uniform. So we took her back to school and she's doing amazing. Her last term, her report, English, she got 78%, you know, and screamed in office. And then she came and she was telling me, auntie, I... Now I don't want to cry. <laughs> I can I can write my name and you see I got 78 and then she was reading me sentences from her exam paper in English and with so much pride. And I sat there and I was like, oh yeah. <sighs> You know, there are moments in this line of work when stories like that, and you are often the one to send me stories like this, that kind of make everything okay. You know, there, I, I know if you're anything like me, there are days when it's just like, ah, 
this is hard. And I, you know, yeah. especially if you get mired in the kind of administrative side of things, the really, you know, fucking <laughs> spreadsheets and all sorts of things. And, and you know, uh, you get stuck in the mundane stuff and then you suddenly a story yeah. like this breaks in and you go, Oh, that's why we're doing it. And you just thank the Lord. Yeah. For yeah. Yeah. So it is, you know, and, and, um, she goes to school and comes back to the shelter because Remnant is home, you know, Remnant is family. So for girls like this, we have decided to, we're looking at unbelieving God for, um, for our own property where we can have a transitional uh, semi-independent living program where they are able to get into group living, come out of the shelter so that these other new girls that are coming in have space and, you know, they can go through now the cycle that these ones have been through, but but then while we get them ready then for adulthood and independent living, and then we can win them off successfully um, of the program so they can um, start their own businesses and thrive and live by themselves and take care of their babies. And my prayer is that, you know, and God will bring an amazing man that will marry them and, and love them and love their kid yeah. and can have many weddings. So. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's every parent's dream. So yeah. <laughs> so you've been doing this for a while. Have you had the opportunity to see somebody who perhaps kind of—I'll uh, say graduated. I know you didn't have graduations until a couple of years ago, but kind of graduated yeah. from your program several years mm-hmm. ago and has gone on and and has come back to you know to report on how they're doing. Yeah, we, we, it's amazing. We have one of the girls, that, that girl that I was telling you about that was almost going to commit suicide. She went on and um, you know, gave birth, went through the school of purpose when it was just starting and learned hairdressing. And she, you know, she was amazing at, at hairdressing. And she, she made us to pay, like staff had to really pay for her services, you know. Uh, <laughs> and every weekend, she, you know, we were booking in and um, God miraculously, like on what only God can do, made provision available for her to rejoin school. And she went back and um, read, uh, joined university. And now she is back at the remnant generation as an intern. Wow. And she is serving in our, you know, with us because she's studying procurement and logistics. And she's, you know, the whole of last week, she's been doing our stock, you know, stock taking and coding things and arranging our, you know, store management and, and filing. And, and, and I, was, I was just just looking and smiling and I was like, oh, wow. And she's been um, such an amazing support system to the rest of the girls. And, um, you know, just sharing with them and telling them it's possible to have a, a complete turnaround. But this girl also, you know, learned how to make books and she, she's been, you know, making books and selling them to her, you know, fellow university um, students and uh, Jeremiah, can you go to your room? Can you go to that? So, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> <That's okay. laughs> yeah, so she's been making books and selling them to uh, fellow students at the university. She's so inter- enterprising, which is an amazing thing. And we've also had girls that um, uh, have been through our uh, hairdressing class that are, um, are running now, you know, working, have fun jobs and they're working in saloons. One of the girls was actually made a manager um, uh, last week when Robert had, you know, they had 
return our business development manager had returned from you know supervising and and doing their follow-up visits and one of the girls now is a manager at, at a saloon and the owner just comes in to check how much money has been made at the end of the day because she's she's proved herself that you know she loves her her work she's very diligent and she's she's manager now you know and she's doing an, an amazing job so we've been encouraged at um the transformation that how good has transformed you know transformed these stories of desperation into stories of hope and inspiration we keep being inspired every day as well yeah yeah sometimes i think that i get even i personally as the guy who's kind of um helping to promote these the programs like School of Purpose or whatever, I can get locked into the thinking of, well, we're teaching them these skills and we're teaching them business training so they can go and start their own business in that. But in a lot of ways, can you tell me just how, I mean, you just mentioned a story, two, two different stories, and I, I'm interested in both in terms of how they happened. Um, girl, one, one girl went on to go back to university um, mm-hmm after graduating from the school of purpose and another graduated mm-hmm. from the school of purpose and then went and found employment and has been promoted to manager. Now, neither of those mm-hmm. are, um, you know, if we were going to lock into the vision of, you know, you're going to go and start your own business and yet they're thriving, uh, mm-hmm. in, in other ways. How, how is it that the school of purpose, um, prepares them for things other than starting their own business? Yeah. Uh, I think what I should mention is that starting and running a business is not something that everyone can do. Yeah. But we realize that there are some people that are, are gifted with inter- that are hmm, how do I put that? That are entrepreneurs by anointing, if that's the thing, you know, they just have the the, the natural gift of of, of um, business. And then there are other people that um, have to learn how to run a business. And then there are others that will definitely thrive as faithful employees. Mm-hmm. So um, we realized that as, as through the School of Purpose, as we're walking the journey with these girls, we realized that not all of them um, might end up getting to start their own business and thrive at that. There are some that have started businesses and they have not worked at all and we had to to get them and find you know um uh, link them to employment and they started thriving so it is and and because you know there are so many dynamics that help a business to be successful and and that those may not be the same for everyone else so what how we are preparing them is that first of all as we do the life skills training we talk about the employer ability skills so um, in, in, in our alternative business model, for example, there is a, a, a topic where we're talking about customer care and people relations and connecting with others. So that not just in a sense of, so that you're able to, you know, you're managing your business and you're having customers coming, but also connecting with people that are employing you, connecting with others that are going to become a source of opportunity for your growth, you know, helping them understand that they should come from a place of, uh, where people are buying from them or take, giving them a job because they are feeling sorry for them. But it should come from a place of where they, they are, they, the person that wants to work with them or employ them, give them an, an opportunity, it is because they see the value that they are able to add 
until that person. So to break the whole victim mentality and, and, and which also gives them a higher bargaining power. Because if somebody is taking you on a job simply because they are doing charity or simply because they are, you are poor or what, then they're, they're going to abuse you, you know, because they think you have nowhere else to go. But when you have the confidence, you can do something well, you deliver well, you have that confidence, then you have a higher bargaining power. So we share all those, um, we teach them, and we've been blessed with a, a business development manager that joined that team that has such great sales and, uh, and, and uh, networking skills um, so that, you know, and, and I've seen him taking girls out to, uh, to exhibitions and saying, you know, see, and, and, and what, what would you do differently for this? What would you do differently for that? And having assessments on them uh, being done on, on, on we have, we've had, um, you know, random public speaking exercises for them. You know, how do you talk about yourself with confidence? And how do you let somebody see that they need you? So like that kind of thing um, helps them so that even if they don't have a business of their own, at least they are able to fit within the, the, job, the, the job area. And um, for the girl that went back to school, um, for the university, it so happened that, uh, you know, there was this friend of Remnant generation that used to come around and got interested in her story. And they used to ask her, you know, so what would you love? You know, what is your big dream or something? And she said, of course, I love business, but I would really love to go and study business. I would love to go and, and, and study business and finish a degree and, you know, kind of graduate as a business person. And, um, well, and, and God had made, you know, provision available through a sponsor, through that friend of the remnant generation. Um, and um, she went back to school, you know, and, and now she's, she started studying business. And, and through her course now, she's back. And she's doing internship with us, and she'll be graduating next year. But she didn't drop the the the, the skill that she learned. You know, she's still she's still doing her books. She's still doing the hairdressing. You know, if kind you know because now we have so many girls, and they, they all line up and they're plating each other, and <laughs> they are starting to pay each other. You know, uh, because everyone is like you're promoting the learners you earn. So even those that are in the catering. Um, we are intentionally tagging them to any of those small, small events and functions where they are able to go and cook. Those that are doing crafts, they have, you know, we are intentionally getting stalled at events and, and, uh, and making sure that they are doing, having, making a sale. So everyone is earning off something. And when you earn, so you don't expect to get a service for free. If you're going to <laughs> need somebody to wash your hair or to you know, to have a, a, a change of hairstyle, you have to pay for it. So that, that kind of thing is, is creating an environment of, um, of them realizing, well, we have been through this, we have, you know, we, we have been given second chances, but we are also able to recognize that we have to, we can't get everything for free and we, we have to add value to services of others, yeah. Wow. It is amazing the stories that come out of out of your place. And for those who are listening, I please be sure to follow us on Facebook if you're not already, um, because some of the stories that Annabelle is posting are absolutely remarkable. And just uh, 
the wide variety of things that you guys are training the girls in and the ways you are getting them out into the community. Um, and I think even that just taking them out into the community is preparing them for life that they, they hadn't, they hadn't encountered things before We're our time is coming to a close. So let me ask just the softball question for those who are listening and are just, they're, they're getting excited about your ministry. How can, how can they get involved? So we would love to recruit prayer warriors, people that will pray for the girls, pray for the staff team. Um, this work is heavy, and it's heavily spiritual as well. We are fighting against so many, you know, family backgrounds. We are fighting going against so many cultural norms, um, a lot of deliverance that is needed, a lot of healing and transformation. So how to get involved, I want, I would say, is, you know, um, Pray, pray for the remnant generation, pray for the girls and the team. And then the second way that you can get involved is um, by financially supporting the remnant generation. Donate, um, finance, every penny. Um, I, can, I can say that and I can be held accountable for these words at the remnant generation is put to a great use, to a greater use. God has given us the grace to know how to stretch um, every bit of donation that we get to do so much. Uganda has been ranked second in, in sub-Saharan Africa with the highest rate of teenage pregnancy. And we would, there are so many girls whose life has just come to a standstill. And as a ministry that is pro-life, we believe that there is more to, you know, there is more to, to the journey of, of being pro-life than just saving the baby, but working to see that we are helping these girls thrive and and, and, and succeed, and then God can be glorified through that. So we would love to see that increase the numbers. So donate. Um, so for our listeners, uh, we, you can go to impactnations.com. Uh, you'll mm. find projects there for uh, the Crisis Pregnancy Fund, which is, uh, helps to cover the medical costs for uh, these young girls who have, are, have obviously prenatal bills and hospital bills and things like that. Uh, and then also... You can give towards the remnant generation, or sorry, towards uh, the School of Purpose, where we're training these girls up with these skills uh, and and the business knowledge and stuff. Uh, or you can give towards helping a, a young woman start her own business, um, so she can go out and become self-sustained. So that's three options right there for you to get involved. So thank you, Annabelle, so much for spending time with us today. I'm just so pleased that our our donors get to know you a little bit more because uh, you and I get to spend lots of time together and they don't get to know you very well so <laughs>